Well, good morning and welcome to Bethel's Rock. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. And I know I say that every week, so that might sound uh, like it's just something I do or it's a routine, but I truly do mean it and hope it doesn't come across. Um, you're just numb hearing that. We, we truly do love having you tune in online. And if this is your first time, I'm not Pastor James. Uh, he is not speaking this week. Um, but I, I want you to know and for those of you who, who probably see me here, and again, I, I, I've said this in the past, that it's like almost kind of like, ah, oh, like I was really wanting to hear this one person uh, speak, or I'm anticipating listening to, to Pastor James, and, and I just don't know if I'm going to get the same thing out of this message. Uh, good thing that that is not the case, that we don't worship a man, that we worship a God, and God equips us and, and speaks through us. So this morning, uh, and it's been my prayer, uh, since I got into ministry, God let nothing. If you don't, if you don't show up, I am going to look foolish. Uh, this morning, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look foolish. So you can be praying uh, the same thing with me because that's what I did right before I I started speaking uh, this morning. That's always been my prayer when I when I deliver a message because there's nothing really that I'm going to give you. Um, I'm I'm 22 years old. And in my stage of life, obviously, there's, there's a lot of you that have more experience and wisdom uh, than me. But I, I ask for wisdom that's beyond human logic. And I ask it uh, like what James talks about. And if you look in Scripture, it says, ask for wisdom and he'll give it without reproach, meaning he's not stingy with giving wisdom, but don't doubt that he will give it. And so those of you who are watching right now, I, ex I want you to, to take that same heart that you'll get as much as you want out of this message. That if you open your heart, God is going to speak to you this morning, but don't come and, and be cynical. And I encourage you to be expectant that God is going to speak to you, that it's not Alex, it's not me, uh, that God would challenge your, your perception and, and uh, your heart this morning and, and give you a word of life. Um, with that being said, we're just going to get right into it. Uh, I, this last week, I was on vacation, and uh, when I was on vacation, there was a lot of stuff going on, and all of you have seen it all over the news. It's the Ukraine conflict and Russia invading, and this is something that I've been paying attention to uh, for a while, and uh, I remember... Uh, like seeing the the TikToks or the Instagram videos that would show up on my for you page, and it was it was hard not to be fearful of it, uh, because especially this is something you see we see tragedies and stuff happen all over the internet and, and things all the time. But this is something that I felt like it could directly apply to me because I could get drafted, or what if World War Three happens and this and that, and what does that mean? And uh, and so I'm going to be honest. There's been a lot of fear that's been. Um, that I've been trying to deal with and, and God's been working on in my heart. And then when they invaded this last week while I was on vacation, I could not like detach from what was going on over there. I wanted to stay up to date and I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on. And it felt so wrong to be on vacation and uh, just relax or go on a hike or, or take in the Arizona sun while this was going on on the other side uh, of the world across the sea. And it was just, it was really, it was very hard. And I'm sure a lot of you have felt the same way. Um, just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm exempt from fear. There's a lot of things that I've 
I, I'm still struggling with. It's, it's hard. And uh, today we're going to be talking about that, that as Americans, we experience a lot of comfort that we sometimes uh, detach ourselves that um, prosperity isn't everybody's reality like we experience in developed countries or in America. And, and this is a, a clip that I saw on The Daily Show. It was a video that came across. And he was talking about something else, but I'm going to show you this video and I'm going to kind of break down what, uh, how I see it. This is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. These are prosperous middle class people. These are not people trying to get away from areas in North Africa. They look like any European family that you would live next door to. What could be a difference here from other conflicts, you know, that could seem very far away, you know, in Africa or Middle East or whatever. I mean, these are Europeans that we're seeing uh, being killed. This isn't a place, with all due respect, um, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan. You know, this is a relatively civilized, uh, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully too, uh, city where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. And the reason why I think I've been more engaged in this topic and it's produced fear is that when we hear about Afghanistan, Iran, uh, Africa, all these different conflicts that are going on across the world, it doesn't affect me. So I my heart feels for them, but there's no fear attached with it because it's not affecting me. And so when you see Europeans and people that are in developed countries in these big cities and they're just being blown apart, it puts in perspective like that could be me. Like I, I can relate to those people because this is where I'm at in my life and I experience prosperity and how quickly that can be taken away. Uh, I think that the, the idea in America, and it's actually that kind of common question that you see when, it, when we talk about Christianity or the Christian God, and, and from American's perspective is why do bad things happen to good people? Why do tragedies and trials happen to people that are doing the right thing? And that's actually a question that across uh, our borders and people that are living in developing countries or dictatorships, this is not a theology that they take on because it's just a part of their life. They don't attach uh, trials and the negative wrongdoings of this world and, and death to God, but it's actually God that is their hope that they have in this life when their whole uh, like rest of their life is just absolute chaos and, and something that they can't control. And uh, I want to show you a clip of, of someone else's perspective that doesn't that didn't come from America. Uh, and, and her, it's, it's Yemeni Park, and she fled from North Korea. And it's her perspective living in North Korea and seeing death on a regular basis and what it did to her. But the thing is, for me, I didn't even know the word compassion. Like, nobody told me you have to feel bad for it. Because for me, it's like, like fish in the water don't notice the water, right? Like that was right. like something every day I saw as a child. So you you never went days where you didn't see this is a, a normal thing to see dead bodies. It was every day as 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 like normal as like breathing the air right now. Our biggest um, blessing that we face uh, and freedom and prosperity in America is also plaguing us as Christians because we've become entitled entitled to our safety and assume any affliction is God's fault, uh, and just like those 
you hear from Yemeni Park or people across the globe that are Christians. It's not something that they struggle with. They know it's a part of their life. And God is the only hope. In America, our God is our money. And when someone comes in conflict with that, we blame God because they're touching our God. That the real God and the throne of our heart is money and prosperity. And God takes a back seat and is compartmentalized. We are going to today uh, be talking uh, about a story that, that deals with this. Uh, I feel like the idea you might have is that because I'm a pastor, I have all the answers and you just come and listen to a Sunday or you listen to Pastor James on a Sunday. My goal as a pastor is to equip you uh, and, and ignite your faith and your curiosity to be able to read this book for yourself. So I want to challenge you, and this is what I challenge my group, is we come together and I have a lot of guys that don't really know anything about the Bible uh, and aren't Christians, and but they still, we dig in the word together. And uh, every week uh, we have a different scripture that we're reading right now. We're going through Mark and we'll read the scripture. And I tell them, I'm like, guys, you all can read. I can read. I can do my own Bible study by myself. And I do. So the purpose of this is I want you to stop, ask me questions uh, because it's in the questions that you develop your theology and it's those things that you disagree with and you wrestle with is where you find God on the other side of that. So when we go through this, we are going to be doing it together. Well, I want you to read it together. And, it's, and we are reading about a man in the, in the Bible that dealt with trials in his faith, like I was telling you before. Uh, terrible trials. He went through hell and back. Uh, but God was with him the whole entire way, and, and he was a good person, but bad things still happened to him. We are reading a book that many scholars agree that is the oldest book in the Bible, and it was written by an unknown Israelite about 1500 B.C. The story is old, but the principle is far from outdated and because nothing is new under the sun. We will be discussing the authority of God, our response to trials, being a comforter to those afflicted, and hopefully by the end of this message you will encounter an indescribable peace knowing your God has it all taken care of. And this book is Job. If you open your Bibles right now in Job 1.1, we are going to start uh, with a little bit of backstory on who Job was. I'm going to break it up in sections for you so it's palatable so you guys can understand it. And uh, we are going to fly through this. There's a lot packed in here. It is a ton of scripture, but I'm going to, I'm going to reduce it to one message so you get the point. It's something that is challenging me. And after reading this, I haven't read it for a while. I'm definitely going to be going back and continue to listen to it on that app that I was telling you about because it, there is so much like wisdom and knowledge in this one book of the Bible, and I haven't read it for a while, so it's it's exciting. So we're going to go through this right now, and we're going to be talking about jo uh, Job. This is the backstory right here in Job 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and the man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions also were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and very many servants. And that man was the greatest of all men of the east. His name, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and uh, consecrate them, rising up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did uh, continually. 
So there's three things that I noticed with this. Um, one, he was blameless and upright. He was blameless and upright. He was, a, he was a God-fearing man and turning away from evil. And it says in verse 1, he said, it said the man was blameless. Uh, that this was a good person. So you identify this wasn't a wicked person. This was a good person. And even uh, to the degree where he feared God so much that he gave sacrifices uh, in, on behalf of his sons and daughters that he didn't, what I interpret from this is that he didn't necessarily see the sins or they were doing stuff evil, but it just said that just in case I'm sacrificing, uh, in case they had cursed God in their heart, that it wasn't a physical action, but there was something that they may have had against God that he was offering on their behalf, that his fear of God went to that uh, extent. And the third thing I noticed is that his riches were much. Um, homeboy had Lambos, uh, cars, he had a big house, big properties. I'm just relating to what you'd see nowadays, what he had back in the day. He was the greatest man above the East. He was Jeff Bezos. He was Mark Zuckerberg. Homeboy was loaded. And for those of you, this will challenge some of your thinking about prosperity gospel. I'm not for that. I'm not saying we serve God to get things. And this will as well challenge that thinking. And so you'll just hear my heart when I say this, but it's not wrong to have possessions and to have riches. God doesn't want you to have your face in the mud and be uh, hated and it just and hurting. It's just a byproduct of being a Christian and following Jesus. The, you don't belong to the world, so obviously the world hates you. That's a whole other thing. But I just want you to recognize how much possessions he had and riches, but his focus was not on the riches. He still was blameless and perfect in God's sight and rejected and shunned evil. Now we're going on to the next part. So we are talking, we're, that's the backstory of Job. It's the narrator's kind of telling you a little bit about him. Now we are jumping uh, to the next chapter in uh, chapter 2, uh, or, or the not, not chapter 2, in verse 6 through 13, where he begins to talk about what's going on in the heavens at this time. Uh, so we're going to jump into that part right now in verse six. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord angels and Satan came uh, along uh, with them. The Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? The Satan answered uh, lo the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my, uh, my servant uh, Job? There is no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Again, the, now the Lord is saying this. Then Satan answered the Lord, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him, meaning protection, and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has and surely he will curse you to your face uh, then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is now in your power. Only do not put your put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. Here's a few things that I notice about this one. You have the angels of God that are stepping before the throne and God is kind of working as a parole officer. This is how I see it. Uh, we can get in. We don't want I don't want to get too busy and lose focus of the passage. And there's a lot of deep scripture in there that you can research on your own. Uh, if you want to do that, just look up and say, why, uh, what were the angels doing presenting themselves before God in, in Job? Look that up and you can look up commentaries why they do that. And 
put in the comments why they did that. I'd be interested to know. But you can do your own research on that. Uh, but I see God kind of acting as a parole officer. All these angels had to come and answer to him and give them an account of what they were doing. Satan, for some reason, came along uh, with them, and he even had to give an account, even though he was not on the right team and he was in, he's in opposition of God. Uh, and he still had to give an account. And the cool thing that I see uh, second is, one, God has the authority over Satan, that no, nothing is su- that surprises him, that that. That, come, that happens on this earth. Nothing surprises him. He is in complete control. Um, two, I see God being a proud dad uh, looking at Job and kind of flexing. Like, you ever have, have the annoying parents? I know I do. Not in a, a negative way, but in a loving way. They are constant. They are my biggest hype men. They are constantly talking about uh, my basketball days, like kind of exaggerating how good I was. They, they talk about the music that I've released and showing my dad will literally go around and show people the videos. Either when I was in basketball, he would record all my games, never missed a game of mine. He never missed a game of mine when I was three hours away playing at college. He is, they are so proud of what I, uh, what I do and what I accomplish. And even the things that are not that great or I see as great, they're just so proud of me because I'm their son. I see the same way. And if you have those same type of parents that are sharing those embarrassing stories, and, but they're just so stinking proud of you, not necessarily of the accomplishments, but just who you are in relation to them, that that's my son. I'm so proud. I see God having that same attitude towards Job. And for those of you, I hope that challenges your thinking that God is not looking to beat you over the head when you're doing something wrong, that he's in the heavens, uh, unbeknown to, to Job, bragging on Job to the rest of the angels. Uh, that, that, that's such a cool thought. Like, what is God saying about you in the heavens? Uh, it says that he delights in you. How, what a cool thought that a God would think of a mere mortal man, that he is proud of him. And I think that just really shows the character of God that we look at him like some such terrible person, but he's, he's proud of us. Then his, his God's um, pride in his son leads to Satan's cynicism. Uh, God is bragging on Job and he's such an upright man. He does this, this, and this. And then Satan responds with cynicism and, and saying that the only reason basically why Job is serving you is because you have protected all that he has and you have blessed the work of his hands and he's rich and he loves his riches. He doesn't really care about you, meaning that he's an NBA girlfriend and the only reason why the girlfriend loves the NBA player is because of the fancy trip she gets to go on and all the money that the NBA player has. Uh, but if he didn't have that status or have that money or opportunity, she would be gone. He views Job in the same manner that he's a fair weather fake friend. And God, having still faith in him, says that, that I know my servant, that's not how he is. And he goes, uh, he says, let his, his possessions are now in your hand, do what you will, but don't lay a finger on my man. It's meaning there had to be a, a transfer of his possessions that they were, God was protecting, but he allowed Satan to do what he, he, he had asked to do. And he went from his presence uh, and went to go and test Job. Now here is, is where we begin and the trials start to begin. And I'm going to kind of uh, go through this because there's two times where this comes and happens and there's trials after trials after trials that happen. And we're going to kind of fly through this, but you'll, you'll see this in the, the upcoming verses. And 
in verse 13 where it says Satan's allowed to test Job. Now on that day when his sons and his daughters were eating, drinking wine, the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said to the oxen and said to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans attacked and took them and they slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven, burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them and I have alone escaped to tell you. That's an interesting, he said, the fire of God. Funny how we associate the negative to God's character and I think that we can relate that in our own lives, but just a notice, yeah, interesting detail. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in your in their older brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they died. I have alone escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground and worshiped. Didn't it cuss? He worshiped? He said, naked I come from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Through all this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. In other translations, that says he did not sin by blaming God. That the sin that Job uh, would commit, the, the important thing is that if he blamed God, but he didn't do that. And there's, there's an interesting thing that I see is that, um, is that the first response that he did was he worshipped. It's almost weird that they they mentioned that, that he first worships God. He didn't cuss him out. He didn't, he wasn't mad at God. He just worshiped him and he had a perspective, meaning that this is all yours anyway. I am just returning the same way uh, that I came into this world, that all of this is yours, God. You can take it just as long as I have you. You're my portion. This was all a blessing. He never lost perspective of what he had, that he didn't worship he worshiped the creator, not the creation and what the creator had given him. He had a perspective and understanding of who God was. Uh, then the, the trials continue uh, again. The angels come before him. Satan comes before him. And, and then Job, is ba God is basically saying he didn't, he didn't, he held his integrity and, and he didn't fall under pressure. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Again, there's no one like him on earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has and he will uh, give his, for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone. This is something that God had kept him from. He said, now touch his bone uh, and his flesh. He will curse you to your face. So the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Then Satan went out from his presence of the Lord and uh, smote Job with sores, boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and took a, a 
potsherd to scrape him himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife came to him, uh, just adding insult to injury. His own wife came to him, said, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? And Oh, that's a, that's a good statement. You read that back and do your research on that. Again, I'm not going to spoon feed you like I said at the beginning, but that's a we're just reading this together, and this is something that I, I see. I, look at that. That was a good statement right there. Um, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of this adversity, they had come upon him. They came each one from his own place. Uh, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Naamathite. They made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and comfort him. When they lifted up their eyes at, at, at a distance and they did not recognize them, they raised their voices and wept, and each of them tore his robe and threw dust over their, their heads towards the sky. They sat down on the ground with him, and for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him because they saw the pain that was so great. You ever been in a spot uh, or you've seen a family member or a friend or you've been in a spot that you don't even, that it's so far beyond words or advice, you just need someone to cry with you? That, you, that the pain is so great that it's like, I honestly know what I should do. I know the pain, but like this just goes beyond words right now. I, like it, there, there's such a deep pain in the moment. Um, and, I th- and I think uh, that's where we get it wrong. We, we oftentimes speak too soon before we listen and empathize and sit and weep with people that are weeping. And I think that's what Christians have done a lot in the past, that we've been we've We've lost patience uh, with people, and uh, we, have, we haven't met people in their perceived reality, and it's basically get over it and just suck it up and move on. Uh, we're going to heaven. Why are you so sad, like here on earth? And I think we've done a terrible job in, in sympathizing with our brothers and sisters that don't have the same faith as us or even our brothers that do, and we, ended up ju- we end up just blowing past past it not meeting them where they are where they're at um pain's a real thing uh god never said you won't experience pain in this life but there is uh, he does promise himself that he is our portion uh through it all um there is a there's a there's a third in the third chapter we just read chapter two the third chapter i'm not going to read it all uh, I will start with the beginning, and you'll get an idea of what he talks about uh, moving on. It's Job's cry. Now, Job, he, he initially worshipped, but now his bone is being, like his body's being affected now. It's not only his possessions, but his, uh, his body's being affected. And even his own wife is telling him, it's so bad, I can't imagine how bad it was. His wife is telling him, dude, you just got to curse God and die. It's better that you die than have to go through this torment. <coughs> <clears throat> he's going through terrible pain. And in verse in chapter three, we'll just read a little bit and you'll get an idea of the poetry that he kind of talks about uh, really through the rest of the whole book where he is just complaining and he's saying, basically, take my life. Cursed is the day I was born. On uh, chapter three, it says, afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. <laughs> and Job said, let the day perish on which I was to be born in the night, which said a boy is conceived. May that be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor light shine on it. Let darkness and black gloom claim it. He is, he'll, he'll go through all that and basically 
um, talk about how it's better. He, he, he would rather be basically strangled and die than have to put up uh, with the life that he's been he's been given right now and the pain and why and he's asking why is God judging him and and he's going through all this but yet he di- still does not curse God and so as he's going through this and he's wailing and he's 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 just letting out what's fl- uh, overflowing from his heart and this pain and this agony uh, then his friends now the, there were seven days where his friends sat there and they sympathized with him they felt where he was at they didn't offer advice they recognized that. He was in great deal of pain and that it would have been very inappropriate for them to speak up and say something. Then you start seeing them start chiming in and that almost that their patience had run out. And uh, in chapters 4 uh, 20, through 25, Job's friends gave a series of speeches to Job. They include many inaccuracies, primarily involving why God allows people to suffer. The, their overarching belief was that Job was suffering because he had done something wrong. As a result, they repeatedly encouraged Job to admit his wrong and repent so that God would bless him again. At one point, Job, weary from their unhelpful advice, told them, you are miserable comforters, all of you. Job 16, uh, 2. And there's a verse in Job 9.3 where he says, If someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even once in a thousand times? Meaning that um, God is just at what he's doing. He's claiming innocence to his friends. And he's saying, don't, he, he goes on to say, as they're judging him and saying, well, you might, I, I don't really believe that all this is happening to you and you didn't sin. There must be something that you're doing wrong. And they're going in and with their prosperity and they're looking at the their friend that's downcast and hurt and broken and then they're just adding insult again and insult to injury and saying well you must have done something wrong the god of the heavens is punishing you for something that you did and and job is i'm paraphrasing job is is saying and he literally talks about this that don't you don't you think i know right from wrong i am innocent before god uh but and then you see him in job 9 3 even if if someone, if even if this is what he was doing and I was innocent, like let it be so and let it be just, but this is not the reason why this is happening to me because I did something wrong. If someone wanted to even take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even a thousand times? Because if he is the creator of this earth, if he created the rules and the laws and he's given you breath in his lungs and this is whole universe and the environment that we live in, he is the ultimate judge and he has the ultimate say because he he wrote your story out and he can erase it if he wants. Now, that's luckily not the character of our God, but we have no right to judge him. I see constant times where people say that God is evil, and I think what a stupid statement. I respect if you don't believe in God or you don't agree with him or you see the character of God in a different way and you worship a different type of God, but for you to say God is evil, you are so narcissistic to think that that's the case, to place judgment on God, you a mere human living Uh, 65 years on this earth to place judgment on God makes no sense because his ways are way higher than your ways and his reality is not your reality you're you're in a fishbowl of fish and he is the person outside of it living in a totally different reality that that fish cannot even comprehend or has even experienced now God doesn't see you like that but I'm just trying to put perspective to your reality this same reality and this is what I was talking about how we are a lot of times miserable comforters, uh, that we oftentimes are like these friends that are coming in and, and giving advice in the wrong times. Uh, 
like the like you don't say to a kid that's not a Christian or he's blaming God on why his mom died. You don't go to the kid when he's asking if his mom went to heaven or not. You don't tell him in the moment uh, that she's in hell or you don't like come in. You're not like the the ultimate fact checker when someone's going through pain, because oftentimes there's a question behind a question and it's you being able to discern that. Well, I think a lot of times as Christians, we just become impatient or, or we, we be, our hearts become hard and we don't empathize people and forgetting that Jesus actually wept, even though he knew the outcome, that he met people in their reality and felt for them, that he looked at the crowds and he wept uh, for them. He wept for Israel uh, and he was God and he knew uh, what was to happen. I think a, a big part of Christian faith is, is being able to em- empathize with people. The reason why these these friends were wrong, and I know I didn't read any uh, of it, but it's, again, it's through chapter 4 through 25 that they are going back and forth, and it's, it's a long part of it where they're having these arguments. Uh, but it, it reminds me of the Indian caste system that this is, I think a lot of times as Christians, we... Uh, view God like, uh, like I think it's yeah, it's Hinduism, uh, where there is a caste system of people where they believe that they've been reincarnated and they are living this life in poverty and on these terrible conditions because of something horrible they lived in the past life. So they have to earn their way to be reincarnated into something into something better. And so there is no help and there's no relief uh, in that religion in that culture. It's a lot of times Christians coming over and offering. Uh, different programs and stuff to reach those people because they just leave them where they're at because that's something that God had dealt onto them and that's what they deserve that that's their karma that's their lot in life and a lot of you Christians uh, us Christians we tend to have that same ideology uh, as as uh, as a pagan religion as someone else Uh, and that's that's not the case Uh, we just have a small view of God and God is not so easily manipulated that if we do good that we get, you know, riches and say, it's, it, we, we're, we're very superstitious in our faith. And this is the Lord's response. Uh, who is this who darkens your counsel by words without knowledge? He is referring to the friends of Job. Uh, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. So there was a storm cloud that came after this back and forth and banter uh, with him and his friends. And the first thing he addresses his friends, who is this who darkens uh, counsel by words without knowledge? A lot of times we give words and have no knowledge of who even God is. But it sounds great and it's a great catchy statement, but we don't even understand and we don't come to a point where we just have an awe of God and understanding his sovereignty and authority uh, without before we place judgments on people and before we place judgments on God. He says, who darkens your your counsel without knowledge? Uh, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. God is bringing his friends and Job to a humility. Uh, They both were in the wrong. Uh, Job had insisted that God brings answers to him. Uh, God turned the matter around and told Job that before he would answer questions for Job. Job had some questions to answer before God. That Job was asking basically, why God do you do this? Bring me answers. He's he's crying for help and telling like, God, do you hear me? Basically, he's going through this pain and rightfully so. Like, God, why do you do what you do? And he's and he's going down the list. And again, he's complaining and he's, and again, rightfully so. He's going through a terrible, terrible uh, pain. 
and, and, and God responds to him. See, that's the thing. God responds to you. He doesn't just leave you to guess where he's at. We live and, and serve a living, uh, a real God that just doesn't exist in a book and says, well, you figure it out. He comes and he, and he confronts him first. And, and he talks about, and, and I think it's in 38, it's, we're skipping way back here. God speaks to Job in, in uh, chapter 38, verse 4 through 7. He talks about, and these are the questions that he's bringing. Job, do you know the secrets of creation of the world? Then in verse 8 through 11, he says, do you know the boundaries of the sea? Uh, 12 through 18, he says, do you understand the nature of the earth? Do you comprehend the light of darkness, the, uh, the nature of light and darkness in the sky in 19 through 24? Uh, do you understand the nature of rain and its effects? 25 through 30, do you know the nature of constellations? 31 through 33, do you know the nature of clouds, weather, and human mind? 34 through 38, do you understand and master the animal kingdom? 39 through 41, more knowledge won't produce peace, but humility will. The whole point of God asking these questions uh, was Job didn't have an answer for. God is putting Job in God's shoes, uh, that, he has, that God has such a far better understanding of us. And I think now because of science and different things, a lot of these questions we can somewhat answer. And because of that, again, uh, we don't have to rely on God and we don't have to trust to him because we don't have to come to a place of humility and we've become so pious in our thinking and our religious mindset that we can judge God and we can judge other people and how they act. We don't submit to God and his authority and his on his wonder though anymore because we've become so, we've, we've worshiped our mind and, and how we think. Uh, we haven't been brought to a place of humility. We have to know before we trust or we have faith. Now let's say not being a skeptic, you don't, that's not saying you have to throw your brain away in the trash. Uh, be a skeptic, read, but there's a point you have to acknowledge as a human person, you're not going to know all the answers. And Job knew that. Uh, he, Job wasn't given a direct answer. Uh, he gives Job a look. God gives Job a look into the what the judgment seat of the universe uh, looks like. He never learns why uh, he suffers, but he still finds peace in and Chapter 42, this is Job's confession, answering back to God. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared that which I do not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here now I will speak. I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by hearing of the ear. But now my eyes see you, therefore I retract and I repent in the dust and ashes. And uh, seven, it says he came uh, about after the Lord and spoke in the, uh, these words to Job, uh, that the Lord said to Ephaz, the Temanite, Job's friends, my wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now, therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job will pray for you, for I accept him so that I may not do with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right and my servant Job has. So Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, Zophar, the Nahamathite, went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. 
then it goes on to say uh, that God had restored his fortunes and he actually got more than he even started with. Um, and you see the story nicely and neatly end with a happily ever after. Um, he confronts Job, shows him questions that Job could not answer, brings Job to humility. He's dealt with. Then it was cool because I'm reading, and if you, I want you guys to go through that on your own time. Look at the conversation, the back and forth between Job and his friends. A lot of the wisdom that they were giving to Job. In my mind, I'm thinking like, God, like, are you, um, like, in some ways, I was, I was kind of, kind of following myself agreeing with them. Like, isn't that right, God? Like, uh, they're, they're challenging Job's thinking and saying, well, God is just in what he does, and they're going down the list, and but the thing is, they accredited God uh, with the pain and destruction that Job was, uh, was dealing with and that there was something wrong with Job. God is judging um, his friends because they weren't comforting Job in the, the, the state that he was in, but they were actually judging him. Uh, I see two types of judgment in here and how I simplified and, and what God was speaking to me that that his friends were judging him. And a lot of times as Christians, we become these fruit inspectors and we become terrible comforters and not meet people where they're at. And uh, not only that, then on the flip side, as Job ha has, he's, uh, he got into the, the issue of dealing, and nonetheless, he did struggle with tons of pain. There was tons of pain, and I don't want to, you know, move past that. There was a lot of things that he went through but he started questioning God's character. Now that's the issue that we fall in, that we have to protect our minds, protect our hearts. Uh, and when we do that, when we accept a humble approach and a humility and an awe and a wonder, when we step in the throne room of God and we understand that we're mere mortals, more mere worms in his presence, but he still, he, and he doesn't look at, at uh, us like that. That's not the point, but he values us. We need to have that approach coming into the throne room, having an awe and a wonder and a humility because it's our knowledge and our judgment that condemns us and puts us under a curse when we live uh, with judgment and we're judging other people and other Christians and, and the pain that they go through and we're fruit inspectors and, we're, and, and we hold people accountable, but there's a, different, there, there's a different way and a tone that Job's friends took where actually God reprimanded them and they had to offer a sacrifice and have Job pray for their forgiveness so that they would be cleansed. And, 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 and we see that with, with Job being confronted by God and God dealing with his friends. Uh, that, uh, and then you see in the end where Job is gifted back his, his possessions. Now this is the prosperity gospel part I was, I was talking about that. Again, in this part, God is not so simple that we just, there's a contractual like um, uh, what do you call it? like a conditional type of love that we deal with uh, that's why the law has been written on our hearts that and why God, Jesus came down and judged the people of that day because they served the law but they had no idea who God was because they we use the law and we think that we can manipulate God to get physical things but we never even wanted anything to do with God Job is gifted the possessions back and then some, not as a reward, but God's, again, free decision. You need to understand the immensity of your, your God, that he is huge. And you might not be a believer yet, 
but I encourage you to take a humble approach and, and have humility and, and recognize that you don't know it all, that the, the smartest and most brilliant people don't know it all, and if they say they do, that they're the most foolish people, that God made it really simple for you, and there are things that you do not need to know uh, that are far past your thinking uh, that would bring so much anxiety into your life, but there is there is a peace that comes when you are humble and you can rest in the Father's arms knowing that He has it taken care of, that trials will come, not if they come, will come, but God has it taken care of and He is in control and nothing slips past His, his, his sight without Him knowing that He knows all. But for us to judge Him is where sin creeps in and to have a cynical heart like Satan does towards God and towards us. Uh, don't take on that heart of cynicism like Satan did uh, towards Job and, and towards God, that, that God is the wrongdoer and, and, and you end up serving God because of what he can give you and not because of who he is. I encourage you um, to take on that on wonder of who God is. Uh, look at the scriptures. The whole point, uh, I, I gave you a lot today and I, I didn't even go through all of it, but I want you guys to look through the scriptures and let it judge the attitudes of your heart. Be a comforter. Don't come with judgment to people that are struggling and meet them where they're at. Like, don't take on the approach that Job's friends did, that a lot of times your ministry is greater when your actions show rather than the verses or words that you speak, that that's how you show Christ and you show God's love. And then not only not judging your, your, your neighbors horizontally in that relationship, but vertically careful not to judge God and to be, get a hardened and, and cynical heart um, towards him because that's the sin that, that it talks about in this scripture, uh, that it not so much was the actions, but it was the cynicism in people's hearts or, or the judgment and, and view of God that they took on and that trials don't reflect um, his absence from your life. God, I pray that you right now would speak to these people, that they would have a, a right view of your character, that you're a good, holy, and perfect God. And who are we to judge you for, for what happens here on earth? And, and, and who are we to judge other people, God, that you're the ultimate judge? God, I pray for a peace and an understanding of your sovereignty that it would produce a rest where we can rest in your arms knowing that you have it taken care of and nothing slips past you, God. God, I pray for the hearts of these people that when they open up scripture that they would have just this awe and wonder and, and just hunger to, to go after your word and, and, and because they have this humility that the word would speak to them and it would speak to soft hearts that would, that would plant roots, God. I pray this, Jesus, in your name, Father, amen.